Welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. Welcome to this week's episode of People, Places, Planet. My name is Georgia Ray, and I am your host. It is with sadness that I announce this will be my last episode as host, but with excitement that I get to introduce you to my successor, Sarah Backer. To those listeners who may not know, I have held the position of research associate at ELI for the last two years. It is a position for recent college grads designed to introduce us to the world of environmental law, set at a two-year fixed term with the idea of serving as a launching pad for next career steps. As research associates, we are involved in a variety of projects. One of my first projects was in helping develop recommendations for the submission on enforcement matters process under the Commission on Environmental Cooperation. Most recently, I helped wrap up a report on best practices for sustainable land-based aquaculture, a report that was actually featured in an episode of People, Places, Planet a little while ago, so go check that out if you haven't already. Between those two projects, I have been involved with work in the Peruvian Amazon, wetland-based hazard mitigation, several projects under the auspices of ELI's Tech and Innovation Lab, hiring and managing interns, and of course, the hosting of this very podcast, which has been one of the most exciting and fulfilling aspects of my job. I am honored to be able to hand the reins over to fellow research associate, Sarah Backer. You will all get to know her in this coming year, but to tell you a little bit more about her up top, Sarah has been with ELI for a year, helping with the Food Waste Initiative and our International Network for Environmental Compliance and Enforcement. Before that, she graduated from Wesleyan University with a BA in government, specializing in environmental global policy and a minor in the College of East Asian Studies and Mandarin. Sarah will be serving as host today in this transitory episode, and I will be taking the interviewee chair. We'll talk a little bit more about the behind the scenes of People, Places, Planet and what comes next. Without further ado, thank you for being here, Sarah, and I'll hand it over to you. Thank you, Georgia. I'm so excited to get to do this episode with you. My first question for you is, what is your environmental niche? Yeah, it's a good question and a good opportunity, I think, for me to to kind of explain how I got to where I am. In undergrad, I had very different interests, kind of felt like a jack of all trades and a master of none. I was a triple major in philosophy, urban studies, and cognitive science, which, as I said, is a little bit all over the board, at least to the external observer. But for me, what always served as the thread between those disparate interests was this interest in environmental issues. And that's actually something that happened really naturally for me. It wasn't really something I was seeking out. I just kind of felt myself consistently drawn to projects and ideas and papers and research that involved environmental considerations, whether in technology and computing or urban studies, transportation or philosophy. There's an obvious environmental connection there. There's a whole body of work. So I kind of naturally converged. As I mentioned, I ended up doing research on environmental justice through transportation access for my urban studies thesis. I considered the impact of transportation access on refugee integration in Denver, Colorado. I also did some research on green stormwater infrastructure and the public perception of it and wrote about mitigation strategies for urban climate change through a position I held at the Philadelphia City Planning Commission. All of these kind of brought me together as I was looking for jobs. I looked back on that research work. I knew I wanted to be in the environmental space, but because I really hadn't studied it in any kind of formal programmatic way, I didn't know what 
as Sarah asked, niche I wanted to be in. And that was why the job here at ELI was so perfect for me. There was going to be a lot of opportunity to discover my interests, discover the field more comprehensively and figure out where I wanted to go within it. And I am so grateful to ELI because it introduced me to the field of environmental technology, green technology, environmental data. And I've been lucky enough to be involved in our tech and innovation lab, which is really an umbrella with a lot of different aspects underneath it, as is environmental technology more generally. You kind of have everything from remote sensing and GIS, which is the more longer term historical use of data in environmental monitoring. And now we're moving into these new frontiers partially through our work on the Network for Digital Economy and the Environment, in which I've been involved considering artificial intelligence, machine learning, that side of environmental technology. That program is doing work in the environmental implications of Bitcoin and quantum computing. So really that modern approach. And that's where I found my passion. And you can kind of look back to my undergrad where I was a cognitive science major and my focus was in computation. So was always interested in computation, but didn't really want to be a software engineer. And ELI has shown me that there's this great bridge between that and the environmental world where I want to be involved more moving forward. You have really been a jack of all trades at ELI as well. <laughs> Hopefully not a master of none. So were you a podcast person before you became the host of People, Places, and Planet? Yes, I was a podcast listener and a fan, but had never gotten behind the mic myself, either as an interviewer or an interviewee. Maybe don't listen to some of those early episodes because they are a little bit disjointed. And I know when I listen to podcast people, the host will always joke about how podcast hosts is such a challenging job and they kind of make fun of themselves in that way. But it is harder than it looks. It's harder to make it seem natural. I thought it was going to be very easy coming in. I was like, it's just a conversation. How difficult could that be? But I've been really grateful for what I've learned as the host of People, Places, Planet, both substantively getting to talk to our wonderful guests and also technically behind the mic, getting to be, as you said, a podcast person. As a podcast fan before hosting People, Places, and Planet, did you have or do you have a favorite podcast series? Well, I'm a little embarrassed to admit my favorite podcast series because it's going to maybe not be as intellectual as I would like to come off, but I've really loved Normal Gossip these past few months. So Normal Gossip, for those who don't know, is a podcast that has a host that talks about normal gossip stories that people send in. But one of the things that I actually really love about Normal Gossip is I love the gossip stories, but I also love the philosophizing that they do about gossip at the beginning of the episodes. They'll talk about kind of the societal relationship to gossip, the individual guest relationship to gossip, what it means for disenfranchised communities to reclaim power through that mechanism. I don't know if I'll ever take the podcast seat again myself. We'll see where my life journey takes me. But listening to Normal Gossip, I have thought about how it would be an interesting opportunity to have a podcast that is a modern take on philosophy. Because I don't know if you listen to a lot of philosophy podcasts, but it is a lot of older perspectives. And I think a younger modern take on what philosophy is and how it plays a role in the real world could be fascinating and something that normal gossip kind of is dipping its toe into, as well as just being fun stories. In an effort to make myself sound a little bit smarter, I also have a favorite podcast that's a book podcast called Overdue. And the point of this podcast is to 
talk about books that you're overdue in reading, books you should have read already. So I don't listen to that one as religiously. Obviously, they're going to give spoiler alerts if I haven't read the books. But when there is a book that I read that they've covered, I like to listen to the episode. And actually, my favorite book of all time is Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabriela Garcia Marquez. And it was one of their very first episodes that they covered this book. And recently, when I traveled to Colombia, I re-listened to the episode to get myself in the spirit and would highly recommend both the book and the episode to anybody who's a book fan or traveling to Columbia. I will definitely make sure to take a look at your recommendations. Is there an episode of this podcast that you most enjoyed recording? It is impossible to pick. I have genuinely liked each and every one of the guests. And my favorite part of being podcast host is the level of variety and all the different ideas I get to learn about. I will not be answering with one episode. I will be answering with five episodes if any of the guests are listening and I don't pick your episode, it's not because I didn't enjoy it because it was impossible to pick just one, impossible to pick just five. If I had to highlight a few, they would be first and foremost, the episode I did last fall with Ben Wilson. Ben Wilson has been a leader in the environmental justice movement really since it began. And we were lucky enough to have him serve as chair of our board for many years here at ELI. And he was recognized with our annual award this last year. And I was lucky enough to get to have a real in-depth conversation with him about his life, his interests, what brought him here. And he's just such a good storyteller, such a fun guest to have behind the mic, really good at telling stories, incorporating those anecdotes, and just generally being an engaging person and very welcoming. So I would definitely recommend you listen to that if you want a great story. I've also really appreciated doing all of the episodes with any of the ELI interns. They bring such a fun energy to ELI and overseeing them as manager and then hearing more about their ideas is always a little glimpse into their mind that wraps up their time with us nicely. I really liked our episode on artificial intelligence for environmental compliance. I talked a little bit about my specific environmental interest earlier on in the episode, but Jed Anderson, who came on that episode and talked about the role that artificial intelligence can play in environmental monitoring, further inspired me to pursue my next path. That was a moment of personal growth for me as well. All right, wrapping it up, two more. The next one is the main aquaculture episode that we recently released that I got to be a guest as well as host on. I'm really proud of that report. It's something that was a long time in the making, and I think we offer a really good synthesis of a very long report in audio form. So a good resource for anybody who's interested in learning more about land-based aquaculture, which is highlighting a trailblazing project project that happened in Bridgeport, Connecticut on brownfield remediation. We got to talk to community champion Debbie Sims, EPA Region 1 director David Cash, Susie Rule from Yale, and Bill Coleman from the local government in Bridgeport as well. So just a really all-star lineup there and important lessons to be learned, I think, for other communities considering brownfield remediation. I think those five episodes kind of run the gamut of the different types of things we like to do on the podcast and hopefully are each good quintessential essential examples of certain aspects. You have spoken to a variety of all-star experts, as you say. What is something that you learned on the podcast that you would like to share with our listeners? I want to answer this question, kind of one discrete answer, fast facts, that kind of thing, and then one high-level answer. And I'll start with the high-level one. The high-level one is how many different ways you can be involved in environmental issues. 
there's so many people out there doing so many different jobs in different aspects of environmental management and protection and conservation. And it's just really inspiring to realize that there are truly millions of ways that you can make your mark in this very important battle against climate change. Everything from proper sediment management to reimagining the role of biogas to monitoring drinking water quality have strong implications for the future of the planet and need smart people to work on them. I've been impressed to learn from all of these experts in all of these different arenas, and I've learned that there's no wrong way to enter this space or one issue that you have to hit your wagon to. In terms of a more discreet answer, I feel like recently I've noticed a theme of coastal resilience and the importance and variety of coastal resilience work that's being done. I tend to think of sea level rise in a way that is actually impacting communities and lifestyles as far in the future, almost something dystopian. And it has been made very clear to me through hosting this podcast and a variety of episodes that it is not far in the future and it is in fact here now. So to give you guys some of those facts that I mentioned, on our episode with Susan Crawford and Robert Verchik, those were two authors who had both written recent novels about sea level rise. Susan mentioned that we are looking at facing a trillion dollars worth of damage in residential real estate because of sea level rise. Robert talked about how by 2080, we are looking at up to three feet of sea level rise and increased precipitation resulting in 13 million people needing to seek new places to live. And Susan also talked about how the Netherlands are a leader in long-term coastal planning. Those are some really discreet things that I learned from that episode. I also think about the episode that I did with Ross Weaver of Wetlands Watch. He talked about solutions, including in Virginia Beach, which is requiring new developments to address 20% more stormwater, thinking about that increased precipitation in their applications. We also talked to Scott Fisher this year as part of our National Wetlands Awards series. He was the stewardship award winner, traditionally Wetlands are surrounded by dense forests, particularly in the area of Hawaii where he was working. And while there are some forests that remain, they're largely made up of invasive species like Prosipis pallida. And that's actually a desert adapted species that sucks up a lot of water and therefore lowers the water table. So it's not super helpful for that wetland protection. And he was working on creating and designing and implementing a forested bioshield. A forested bioshield is a particular configuration of trees, shrubs, grasses, etc. that slows waves and dissipates sediment. Which reminds me of our sediment placement regulation episode with Dr. Nicole Elko and Derek Brockbank. And that's kind of the last one that rounds out this theme for me. And they talked about how important the placement of sediment is to helping build up wetlands and build up our coast and how traditionally regulations have allowed sediment to be disposed of in the most economically efficient way, which is often dropping it into the middle of the ocean and not the most environmentally efficient way, which as we really worry about this land loss and sea level rise is likely placing it on our coast. So regulations are changing a little bit and they speak to it in way more depth on that episode, but just really that full picture that formed about sea level rise and coastal resilience, I really appreciated and felt like I learned a lot about what's happening in that space. I'm definitely excited to be the host of the podcast because I hope to speak to such a wide variety of topics in such a comprehensive way. What can you tell us about the behind the scenes process of recording? 
Well, I think you can already speak to so many things in a very comprehensive way, Sarah. I'm glad you were tabbed for it. I think you're going to do a great job. And this is, I feel like, a little preview into the conversation that we had as I prepared you to be host, but to bring our listeners in on the process as well. The podcast process is really fun. It's a great opportunity to make new connections, and it's an exercise in getting to say yes a lot. So there's a lot of creativity implicit in the process. People bring you ideas, whether they are totally targeted, and I want to talk about this Supreme Court decision, and I want to tell you about this law, or I think something about ESG would be interesting. And so you work with that guest, you kind of create a story map, which is what we call it. That's an introduction, some questions. We talk through ideas. We talk through what they might want to highlight. And then I get them that final version of the story map, which they can then use to brainstorm how they might want to answer the questions. And then we set a time to record. We record all together. After the recording, we take the episode and we edit it. If you ever have listened to this podcast and thought, wow, nobody on the podcast ever ums or ahs or says like they are. <laughs> they all are. They are just being edited out after the fact. And that's a good opportunity for me to really highlight the rest of the team that is involved in this podcast and the creation of People, Places, Planet. So we have Colin Gibson Tansel. He is our senior digital media producer here at ELI, and he is very involved in the editing of this podcast. Then we also have Nick Collins. He's our director of communications, and he sends out great social media blasts and emails publicizing the different episodes. And lastly, we often will have an intern on with us throughout the semester or throughout the summer. So over the last year, we've had Natalie Triana, Jenny Zhang, Sonia Carrizales, and Jeremy Rubin. So I really want to give them a shout out too, because this podcast is a pretty bare bones team working on it, but it's a far stretch from being just me. And I was very grateful for all of their help. I wish that we had more of an opportunity to work together, and I will certainly miss you. What will you miss the most about working at ELI? I feel like any job worth its salt, you're going to say the people. And that is true for me, of course. I also mentioned the research associate program that ELI has, and the research associates in particular have become real friends to me and more than just colleagues. But in an effort to be less cliche, I will also say that I am going to miss the podcast most of all, which is pretty cheesy as well. But ELI puts a lot of resources into making this podcast in an effort to spread the word about environmental legal issues. I really enjoy being involved with it because I think it has such a good mission behind it and a really good set of values that everyone who works on it is able to champion. It speaks to our broader ethos as an organization about the importance of education and not just research. There's a lot of research organizations out there that do research and it feels like it just kind of then sinks into the void. And that's not the case from ELI. We really have a robust education team, events team, development team that's making sure that we are getting this information to the right people. And that's kind of the point of the podcast too. And I feel very honored to be the voice for that education in this way. If you've listened to that podcast before, you'll know there's no ads. We're not monetizing this. And that's not to say that we won't ever monetize it, but the instantiation of it, the idea behind 
behind it was really just to get the word out about this important work. And we're willing to put the time and effort and money into it to do that, even if it's not necessarily returning to us immediately. It's just really special to be involved in a team that has drive behind the work and is committed to educating in a culture that can often feel like no motivation is purely in service of education. I'm definitely excited to further that mission of contributing to democratizing education. And I think that was incredibly well said about what really is one of the core pillars of ELI. Georgia, what is next for you? I'm going to grad school. So I guess one of the other things that I will miss about my job here at ELI is the paycheck that I get every two weeks, but I think it's going to be worth it. I'm going to grad school at Imperial College of London, and I will be studying environmental data science and machine learning, really diving into the deep end of that interest I talked about earlier in the episode. And I'm excited to get to bolster my technical skills in computer science with a specific vision towards applying applying it in an environmental context. I tell people about this program and the follow-up question is always, and what after that, what job do you get? And there are really so many jobs that interest me in this intersection. So I don't want to tie myself down to one just yet, but I'm really excited to learn more about innovation between environmental studies and data science and machine learning. And I'm hopeful that ultimately I can be involved in better policy regulation for this type of environmental innovation with a strong mind towards the science and technical ability that underlies it. That all said, I'm very much going to miss ELI, very much going to miss being the podcast host and really count this as one of the most formative experiences in my career, which is short so far, but still very formative. Thank you, Georgia, for being a guest on the podcast today and for serving as our host. We have learned a lot from you over the year, and I wish you the best of luck at Imperial. Sarah, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be able to give you your first thank you as a guest, and I am very excited to tune in when you're back. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at ELI.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.